Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like, once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater, it was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't, we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 405 for April 1st, 2010. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and that wraps up a fantastic program. Ha, no, I'm just kidding. April Fools. Yeah, that was lame, I know. Anyway, we've got a great show for you today. We've got Dan Butler, otherwise known as Bulldog from Frasier, who's here to talk about his career and his new off-Broadway show, The Irish Curse. We also have Will and Anthony Nunziata here to talk and sing for you as they promote their From Pelham to Park Avenue going on from April 20th to 24th. And we've also got the shows The Realm and The Maid, so... Got a lot of stuff on board for you, so uh, why don't we jump right on into the program? Up close. The Irish Curse is a new play that just opened at the Soho Playhouse, and one of the many talented cast members is Dan Butler, who I'm very pleased to interview because uh, Frasier is one of my favorite shows of all times, and of oh, course, great. Dan Butler was a bulldog in the show. And uh, he's here on the program with us, and I couldn't be more thrilled. How are you doing this morning? I'm very, very well. Thank you. First off, I get, before we talk about the play, sure. is it a blessing or a curse to be identified as Bulldog from Oh, Frasier? no, no. It's a, it's, <laughs> a, it's a blessing. I mean, what, what greater uh, reminder than you made people laugh and that they still enjoy it? Um, it's a lot of fun. It was a, it was a great character to play, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's funny seeing people feel as if it's very, very current. Syndication does that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's certainly plenty of places people can get information on Frasier. We're here. I definitely want to talk a lot about your theater career before, after the current show. You're in The sure. Irish Curse. Irish Curse. And uh, what is The Irish Curse? Well, <laughs> the, uh, the premise of the play is, uh, you know, it's set in a... Uh, basement of a Roman Catholic church, present day, and five men of Irish ancestry, uh, four of whom are American, have gathered for what you glean is a support group. You're not quite sure what it is, but within about 10 uh, pages of the script, you realize they're all there because they have uh, small penises. And uh, <laughs> This is what internet radio is made yes, for. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, it's... Uh, I'm really proud to be a part of it. It's it's a lot of fun. It's very funny, and uh, and what's terrific about meeting friends afterwards or people that have just walked up to see the show, um, they're just surprised how effective it is. You know, yes, it is funny, but it goes places they didn't expect it to go, and uh, they're just on for the ride. So I think it sticks with people in a good way. 
And you got a fantastic cast on board too. You absolutely, know. absolutely. Uh, Scott Jake, Brian Leahy, Roderick Hill, uh, Austin Peck. Yeah, it's it's terrific. It's really a joy to be on stage with them every night. A nice intimate theater. Yeah. You know, it's great that somebody's taking a chance, and this is open ended for them. For the it's open. It's open ended. My uh, friend Marty Casella wrote it and has been trying to get it produced for about four years. Ever since it won the Fringe uh, Award for Best Play, um, um, and it's uh, it's daunting. Uh, it's it's disappointing seeing it take so long to get a rather small play. Uh, produced, but it was uh, well worth the effort. Well, I know it's it's so weird that you know people are producers are so unwilling to take a chance with off Broadway anymore. And, yeah, but I think it's a great place to see. You know, I mean, to me, a lot of plays that hit Broadway lose their intimacy. You know, you know when they are absolutely and unfortunately the. Um the financial constraints uh, make it prohibitive to go to the theater. And, you know, back in the, t- I mean, the days are long gone when you'd, you'd want to go see a show that may be not perfect, but uh, flawed uh, slightly, but, but it had great cast members. It had so much going for it. Um, now there's so much pressure of, it's got to be a success. It's got to be perfect. We've got to have stars in it. Um, I'm I'm so excited about this show because one of the things that really surprises me and excites me is it's pulling a whole different audience in that I hope we can keep capitalizing on. They're more um, working class. Maybe it's tapped into the Irish um, uh, the Irish band around yeah. uh, New York. But we had people coming in during the previews uh, from Staten Island, from Jersey. From, I don't know how they heard about the play. I, I, I guess David Gerson is doing a great job <laughs> getting the word out. But it's fun that you have theater goers there, but you have the common the common man, really what theater – who theater is really for. And they're excited about it, uh, about it, jazz, and it's not so elitist. So um, I hope that continues. I hope it continues. Now, you actually had quite a, quite a theater background before the start of uh, your TV and film career, correct? Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, just an add-on to the Frasier thing, mm-hmm. I think that's what uh, helped make Frasier a success because most everyone, everyone in the cast I knew from the theater. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, Frazier itself had a very strong theatrical background yeah, with the cast all members, the uh, but... Most of the writers, mm-hmm. um, uh, directors, creators, uh, if, if their background had not been the theater, they had a great respect for it. And um, I was also, at the time I was cast in Frazier, my one-man show, um, the, uh, the show I wrote, the only thing worse you could have told me was just happened to be on... Um, off-Broadway at the time. So I was playing this rabidly heterosexual sportscaster while I was, uh, I guess for most of the public, I was coming out uh, as a gay man in this, other, in this other venue. Well, you know, and at the time you came out and it was it was pretty big news, there weren't many actors willing to step forward at this point, it, it seems to me. Well, yeah, and I did you know. not, you know, people uh, harken back to that and go, um, I guess they want me to go into this story of, oh, how harrowing. <laughs> it was a conscience-ridden, horrific time. But I really, I may have been very naive, but I didn't even think about it. I, I knew, I, I was more uh, daunted by the idea of doing a one-man show. I had never uh, stood up and done all of my own writing uh, and been out on stage by myself. And it just happened to be that the subject matter was processing what being gay was. So um, it was all... A big ball. 
How was that balancing a TV show and a one-man show at the same time? Imagine that might have been a little... Oh, it was great. It, it was great. I guess, you know, when creative juices are going, it just, uh, at least in my case, it just urges you to be more creative. And I was not on every show. I was a, a contracted recurring character, and uh, the character Bulldog was on quite often, but not every week, so I had plenty of time. And also the... When I began the one-man show, uh, initially it was just on Mondays and Tuesdays, and then it shifted to the weekends. So it worked well with the TV schedule. How, how is that? Like, so you're like, so you're contracted occurring. I, I imagine that in some ways that has to be the best of both worlds. Like you said, you had some time to do other things, but that steady paycheck and <laughs> yeah, th- that was that was really good. I. I if, uh, you know, I was on it six years, and then I left, would come back periodically. Um, it got a little prohibitive at the end just because um, it got down to the only reason to stay would have been the paycheck. Um, it, just that it felt a little limiting. I wanted to go out and do other things, and I, because of the contract, they didn't allow me to, for instance, audition for new pilots. I could go off and do guest shots on things. But I couldn't go out and audition for something that may may have jeopardized me being on that show. So um, I just had to weigh those things and uh, decided to go off on my own. Well, and you have a few Frasier alum right now that are trotting the boards, like, as we speak, too. Mm. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I know David is. Oh, yes, of course. Kelsey's about ready to. Has Lacage opened? I haven't been paying attention. I think it's opening soon. Yeah. Yeah. I I bet it'll be great in that. I I love Kelsey. He's... uh, he um, was so magnanimous on the show, and uh, I think what made the show extra special was having him in the central character because he had created, one, this this incredible character, but also he had no needy ego uh, to be in the spotlight all the time. I mean, he knew he was good. He was confident in that. And I, his motto, unspoken maybe, was, well, let's all be great. Let's all be great. So I think it paid off. So when you came out, you also became like kind of, in a way, a spokesperson for a lot of events in the face of a lot of events. Was that kind of thrust upon you, or is that something you, like, were were glad to take on? Um, um, it was both. I, um, <laughs> I really enjoyed and was grateful uh, to be, I think it was in 1995, the... Uh, the spokesperson for the National Coming Out Day, and I think it's on October 11th. It was part of Human Rights Campaign. That was great. I'd be asked to do, um, you know, be Grand Marshal of this gay parade and this, and I'd be selective about that, um, mostly because I don't, um, I don't always feel like preaching to the choir. I'm, I'm, I, I would rather go to places where it's needed more. For instance, after turning down a lot, I. My partner and I went to uh, Salt Lake City. It was right after Matthew Shepard had been assassinated. And um, it pulled in Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, you know, all the surrounding areas. And uh, we both said, this will be a good one. So I think they were surprised I said yes. And uh, (laughs) they were so sweet. But I've got to say, when we were were being driven in from the – airport, this very nervous representative from the Salt Lake City gay chapter or whatever, was uh, 
was saying all the particulars about the parade. And uh, very matter-of-factly, he said, okay, well, the, gay, uh, the parade starts Sunday morning at 9, which I thought was a little early for a gay parade. <laughs> I go, but that was neither here nor there. And he goes, uh, we've changed the route of the, uh, of the parade slightly. It's, I forget what he was saying yeah. exactly, from uh, Main Street to 2nd Avenue or whatever. Uh, he said, we did that because there aren't as many high-rise uh, buildings for snipers to be in. And we go, oh, well, that's, that's a good thing you switched the parade route then. <laughs> that's good, good. I wholeheartedly agree with that. <laughs> so you, some of your theater background growing up, what, what got you into theater in, 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 the, very, in the first place as a... Well, I think I naturally was drawn to it. I would uh, put on like... I would put on these Billy Rose-like extravaganzas when uh, friends of the family would get together for picnics. So I would concoct this, write this thing or tell people what to do and then act in it and lights, camera. So I think it was in my blood. <laughs> but um, my mom surprised me once uh, after church and took me out. Uh, I think this was in 63, 1963, to an audition uh, community theater um, production of Music Man. To, and so I think that was my first big thing, uh, <laughs> playing Winthrop in Music Man. And uh, I, I just fell in love with it. So it started there. And then in school, continued community theater. Uh, when I was in high school, I started doing college productions that are um, the local regional um, connection to Purdue and Indiana universities. They had a terrific department. And um, Any teachers you want to shout out that, you, that inspired you while you were there? Well, the head of the college department at uh, Indiana Purdue, Frank Kenworthy, was uh, an extraordinary person. I mean, we had wonderful directors there, too, Larry Life and Dan Cashman. But it was really Frank Kenworthy who was at the helm, and um, he instilled the feeling of uh, of taking part in every aspect of it. it just having you respect um, the lights, building the scenery, doing the sound, being part of everything, that it is a unit. It's not just, I'm on stage, put the spotlight on me. Um, and that has stuck with me, um, that it's... Uh, that it's fun and it should always be a blast and it should always be play, something I uh, for many years forgot. Um, but it's also an important endeavor. And um, he, uh, he planted the roots of that. He was, he was really great. With great exuberance, too. It wasn't like this is a holy, a holy <laughs> cause. But it was with great enthusiasm and fun and exuberance and go, this is what we do. Isn't it great? And it is great. Now, Frasier was you filmed in front of a live audience, correct? Yeah. So now, how does that how does that compare in a sitcom versus you know live on stage when you've got an audience there but you're playing to the camera, not to them? Is it is it a, anything different? Is it a tricky balance to work out? Or the well, it was an interesting. It did feel like doing a little play. Um, it. it it makes you feel like you're in two worlds. I mean, you you had to pay attention to the camera a bit, but really the director was taking care of that. It was you do your work and we'll catch it. Um, 
sometimes the set you'd be playing on was out of view of the audience, so they were getting it on a camera, and that was a little disjointed. Um, but yeah, it had it had the fun elements of each. You know, the the quicksilver uh, feeling of film and television. That okay, move on. You know, um, it's just of the moment. And then, of course, theater being. Uh, being enlivened and uplifted by uh, a present audience that was great it was uh it was just surreal it, recognizing that oh this is you'd forget or i would forget that this is being blasted out over millions upon millions upon millions of television <laughs> sets you know you're just thinking of oh i'm i'm on this stage and oh everyone's seeing this um so that's fun now, did that continue to open doors for you after Frasier was open in terms of your selection of roles, and 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 or did it kind of start pigeonholing you in a way? I uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, on the holy holy ground of <laughs> yeah. I I I just think uh, I I enjoy how life helps uh, if you, if you get out of your way that life helps you reinvent keep reinventing yourself. So uh, I think, uh, well, I hope I'm always in that process. Um, yeah, I, d I never felt pigeonholed uh, by that. I've had bulldog-like characters that have come after that, but they had their own distinct difference. Um, but it's great if jobs come from that. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to the Irish curse for a moment. Um, now, I know this pl this played in a... And won some awards at a at a gay festival as well, right? I'm not sure of all the his, histories. I mean, I know it's been at Edinburgh Festival. I don't think it's been specifically gay. It's because there's only one gay character in it. But uh, um, it's been in Dublin. It's um, It's been at the Edinburgh Festival. It was at the Fringe Festival here. And it's had readings all over. Um, you know, let's get Marty Casella on the. Oh uh, yeah, okay, okay. So, so what is it? Yeah, I did read the press release said something about the Dublin International Gay Theater yeah, Festival. So. I see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but the play isn't a gay themed play. No, so. I mean that's uh, it. It it takes in that you know there are about there. It's a five character play. And certainly, so you have... only it isn't just gay men that are worried about small penises. <laughs> no, I think it's widespread. <laughs> um. But you have five sort of prisms, five views of uh, of it, and Marty Marty is really, um, really, really talented and uncanny in the in the way he's brought this all together, because it's uh, it's a challenge to uh, to come in and know you're going to uh, essentially hear five shares, but he uh, he breaks it up well, and there's a there's a reason to share, not to just sit down and go, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. There is a, there's a definite need and action that all of them combine to do this. Um, it's, uh, it, I think it's pretty terrific. It's a, it's a really, really great night in the theater. Um, sometimes the, the, the audiences are so raucous, um, but they each have their own... Um, their own character. Sometimes they're much quieter. And I would expect that. It's, <laughs> it's one of those things that people are going to take very differently. And in live theater, sometimes one or two people can make all the difference in the audience. Absolutely. For, <laughs> for... Absolutely. 
So what would you, what's your favorite part about performing on stage? Is there... Well, the, uh, when theater is good, um, it's the immediacy. You know, you're never going to see this again quite like this. I mean, the, the, this group of actors has not they, – they haven't had this – they will not have the same experience they had that day leading up to this performance. Um, they will not have eaten the same food. They will not be in the same mood. So some – it's going to be different. The audience is the, – the character of the audience is going to be different. So you may um, – uh, I don't know why an actor would want to do this, but you may think you have frozen your performance. Uh, but it's going to be – it's going to be different. And with an audience, the audience is the other character and you are playing with them. You're sensing them out. You're feeling where they are and you, you want to take them for the, the ride. But they're, they're also cluing you in as to – how the ride should be slightly different tonight. So it's uh, it's like a seduction. It's uh, it's it's fun. It's fun, and I get this. Uh, this is something I enjoy so much to do. This particular play every night. I really, you know, since everyone has their turn, you know, and their share, it's nice to be able to sit back and appreciate what someone else is doing. And we have a ball. We have a ball. It's a lot of fun. So any pieces of advice you'd like to throw out there for uh, actors who are... Oh, I thought you were going to say with people with small penises. <laughs> well, and we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, for actors with small penises. <laughs> let's to... blend everything you've talked about so far. Uh, actors with small penises that every once in a while watch Frasier and maybe thinking about being gay. Um, let's see. Um, you know... Uh, I know these words were uh, were passed on to me when I was a younger actor, but uh, it fits any age. You know, uh, you know, don't forget to live life. I mean, that's where you're pulling everything from. You know, uh, to be passionate about what you do, but um, but to just pay attention and enjoy each part of your life because I think it's it's such a great profession that if you get ego out of the way. It should feed – you should be an actor, if you want to be, your entire life, <laughs> you know, because you've got – you're just pulling from – you know, you're pulling from all the ages you've been and uh, and uh, and the other thing is just, you know, not, not forget to play and have fun, you know. I, I, I speak from experience of getting really over, over serious and, you know, making everything important. Um, who wants to watch that? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, have fun. Enjoy life. And um, also, if one person that you haven't worked with yet that you would really like to work with. Wow. Wow. There are a lot of, th- there are a lot of people I would love to work with. One per- see what what will happen, Michael? Is I'll, I'll come up with someone that's dead. <laughs> that's okay. Because <laughs> uh, there are a lot of people I would like to go back in time and to either see them or work with them. Uh, hmm. Let me come back to that uh, to answer that question. I'm sure you have other questions. So one thing we mentioned before you started is you're you're heavily involved with the Suicide Prevention Hotline. Hmm. Yes, I d- I worked on a crisis line. Uh, in Los Angeles for about six years, and there's there have been uh, a lot of suicides on my uh, mom's side of the family, and also in uh, 
friends of the family. And I've been writing, um, I'm in the process of writing a play that's a, a little dormant right now, but uh, had readings of it. I, th I, I have a feeling everything I've done written up to now is sort of foundational work for what it's going to be. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's been important to me. And I was also uh, a volunteer on the Trevor Crisis Line for uh, gay teenagers uh, in crisis. Uh, really, really important and wonderful uh, crisis line. So is some of this involvement related to, I, I know that the title of your play, kind of your one-man show said it all, the worst thing you could have told me. And, and I guess the words that your dad followed was that you were dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, um, I, you know, why I chose that particular uh, phrase uh, to uh, title my show, it, uh, three reasons. One, uh, yeah, the only thing worse you could have told me is that you were dead. Uh, one, it's impossible. <laughs> uh, two, it was unintentionally hurtful. I think he was really trying to describe how he felt that, you know, his earth, you know, his world was rocked by the news. And I think it's hilarious. I just think there's something inherent in it that is so funny. So I think... Uh, how did he actually react to the play? To the play? It took, you know, it took him a, a while to see it. Uh, um, I... I ended up taking it back to my hometown of Fort Wayne, Indiana, and that was probably one of the last times I did it. And he finally came, and he, I think, deep down, he thought the whole play was going to be an indictment against him. And um, I think, one, the experience of seeing it and realizing that's, you know, you know that, that section of the play is just a small section, uh, and it's not about getting back at him or anything. Um, and... That coupled with so many people, excuse me, from his past and my past showed up to see that play in, in Fort Wayne. And he was, I think, bowled over by the support and respect and, uh, um, um, and applause and everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that helped him go, oh, this is a good thing. Um, was it a very different experience performing that in your hometown where you have a history and – It was – it was funny. Um, it, it was incredibly moving. I didn't expect it to be so powerful. Uh, I think part of that was coming back to the college where I had really started um, knowing that this is what I wanted to do with my life. It wasn't just a hobby. Or, and uh, to, to, to be there. Um, and also they proved to be a more sophisticated audience in some ways than New York or Los Angeles had been, which really blew me away. I mean, they we were really getting... aren't a very sophisticated audience here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were getting some things. High kicks. <laughs> <laughs> chandelier drop from the ceiling. <laughs> a very slow chandelier dropping from the ceiling. Um, yeah, they were great. They were great. I mean, I, I love that I grew up in Indiana. You know, Indiana is one of those places that I'm glad I left, uh, but I loved growing up there. So, yeah, that was very surprising. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as, as we get ready to wrap up, so back to the question of... The person the I'd person, like to work with? Yeah. Gosh, I, I, I'd, I'd want to name uh, so many. I mean, I'm thinking, I guess, in uh, being in New York... Oh, gosh. Gosh. 
I'm just blanking. I just, <laughs> you know, uh, life sort of provides. Uh, life, life has been so good to me and provides uh, wonderful experiences. I, I, I'm going to leave it up to life to to choose to choose the people. Um, On the flip side, when, yes. you, when you do shows, how mm. often do you get people who are clearly like looking to you for the answers, uh, looking to you for guidance and mentorship when you're doing shows? I'm. Hmm. I'm. Um, I think. Uh, I think that's a dangerous, uh, <laughs> a, a dangerous question to answer because it makes it makes me think like I should come in with a, a coat over my shoulders and sunglasses and a felt hat. Um, no, I think I think in every. Uh, I don't think mentorship is a bad thing in in any way. I, no. I guess the question is: Do you do you feel yourself ever? Liking to fall into a mentor position, I just I, I, a collaborative position. I mean, it was a, for instance in this show, it was really exciting. Uh, Marty has been very supportive of my writing, and this was um, uh, it, it was great being in um, in a place where I could provide my own instincts about things because he was. I loved that he was still collaborative, still working on the piece. Uh, it was a short rehearsal period, so a lot of the times the uh, the insights uh, were told in a sort of cut to the chase manner. You know, this isn't working. Let's do this, and and it wasn't. I, I think for the most part, no one took anything personally. It's going, oh, how about this? How about this? Let's try this. Let's try this, and uh, I think you just get to a position where when you start putting a um, a a character on and the blend between you and the character starts dimming, you know this, you know this guy sometimes better than the writer or the director. And uh, so it's coming out of that. Uh, I don't know, I, I don't know how to get my um, <laughs> mouth around this line or something like that. Um, so I think that, I think sometimes those, the, the mentoring or collaborative comes, it just comes instinctually. And everyone has their place in the place in the circle, and that's what forms, I think, the chemistry between the guys on stage and the chemistry between the writer and the director. Um, it's interesting when we were. Um, uh, you reminded me of something when we were when you're working on a play and uh, and a line or a chunk of dialogue seems to trip you up, and I had one of those. Uh, I. I remember a, a, an interview Meryl Streep gave once about there always being a Rosetta Stone, a chunk of dialogue or a line that she just feels she can't possibly stay, say, and usually that is the key to the whole character. And I found that happening to me, and you know, it took a it took a while, and I'm still in the process of it. And I I know this thing I hated to say every night is the key to the character. So it's. Uh, you got to watch the things you uh, say. Cut this. <laughs> no, no. Sometimes you need it. So those are fun to discover. All right. Well, the Irish Curse is running now at the Soho Playhouse. Yep. And a real easy website to remember. It's theirishcurse.com. Mm. So people can go there to find out more information. And Dan Butler, I thank you so much for uh, for chatting with me. It's it's been an honor and uh, and. I wish you the best in the, the show and as your career moves forward. Thanks, Michael. It was a pleasure being here. Cabaret 
Gay Corner. Will and Anthony Nunziata uh, have been performing together as brothers for quite a while, and they're getting ready to bring their show from Pelham to Park Avenue to Feinstein's from April 20th through the 24th. And uh, we've got a treat. We got uh, the brothers here in the studio to talk, and also they're going to perform a couple numbers from their show. How are you guys doing? Great. Um, how are you? <laughs> Thanks for having us. Good. <laughs> All right. So why don't you introduce yourselves so people can connect the voice to the name? Great. I'm Will Nunziata, and I'm Anthony Nunziata. All right. So hopefully there's enough of a vocal difference to, to make this out. You guys yeah, are Anthony, your voice sounds really low this morning. It usually is, Will. Oh, that's nice. Now, you guys are twins, right? Yes, yes we, we are. are. <laughs> Same answer. Same answer. Do you, how, how often do you complete each other's sentences? Pretty often. Pretty often. Just like now. Yes. So, so what got you guys performing together? Is that... I think... Um, well, we've been we've been, we've we've been singing our entire lives individually, and when we've had opportunities to sing together, like with our family, during family gatherings, we've always done that. And but I think it was in college we were on our way to uh, to try out for the tennis team at Boston College, and uh, we saw an audition notice for this musical Godspell. We both saw the audition. We auditioned, and we both got cast. I got Anthony. This is Anthony. I got Jesus, and I got Judas. And uh, yeah, it's good casting. Well. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And then from there, you know, after after college, we decided to kind of pursue to pursue this singing thing together. Had the a wonderful opportunity to perform with a few symphony orchestras, and from there, um, our life paths met Richard J. Richard J. Alexander, our director, mm -hmm. and uh, and and from there, it brings us to to uh, to, to us rehearsing for our uh, our week long engagement at Feinstein's, which we can't be more thrilled about. So, so what was the inspiration? Tell us about the, the show here from uh, Pelham to Park Avenue. Well, in discussing with Richard, we were kind of, you know, throwing around ideas and collaborating, and it just kind of made the most sense after we all discussed that we named the show from Pelham, where we grew up, to Park Avenue, where Feinstein's is. And, and it kind of takes the audience through a musical journey through our, through our life and songs that, that we love to sing. And... Um, and yeah, I mean, we had the opportunity to perform at Feinstein's in the fall for two performances in September and October of 2009. And from there, those performances, you know, seemed to go pretty well. And from there, Feinstein's uh, gave us the opportunity to, uh, to, to perform. To a weekend engagement. Yes. So what's it like here in New York building up, you know, yourself as a, you know, cabaret concert performance act? How, how hard is it to build up your audience well, it, I mean, we've been pretty lucky. I mean, kind of every, every time we've performed somewhere, whether it be a benefit or in concert, um, we, we've really been able to kind of gain a few fans here and there. We've yeah. formed a little Facebook fan page and, and bring people to our website, and it's been really neat to kind of see familiar faces come back and see us perform. And, um, and to be in the hands of someone like Richard J. Alexander, we know that and we trust that. We're, we're, in, we're in fabulous hands in terms of with someone who has worked with, with many great artists in putting together concert acts. Yeah, so uh, now we got a little treat here. You guys are going to sing for us. Do you want to maybe uh, tell us a little, about, little bit about this first number you're going to perform? Sure. This first number is uh, it's called Age of Not Believing. And I don't know if you remember, it's from that old, that Angela Lansbury Disney film, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. The Disney musical, yes. And so, you know, this was a song that... Uh, we actually used to sing in our bedroom. We had private performances in our bedroom, and we were each other's audience. 
And uh, so this was one of the songs that we used to sing. Yes. All right. And who's accompanying you today? Our musical director, Ben Toth, the fabulous Ben Toth. All right. You guys ready? Yes. Okay. When you rush around in hopeless circles, searching everywhere for something true, you're at the age of not believing when all the make-believe is through. When you set aside your childhood heroes and your dreams are lost up on a shelf, you're at the age of not believing, and worst of all, you doubt yourself. You're a castaway where no one hears you on a barren isle in a lonely sea. Where did all the happy endings go? Where can all the good times be? You must face the age of not believing, doubting everything you ever knew. Until at last you start believing There's something wonderful Truly fun uh so uh thank you <laughs> how often do you perform this early in the morning oh well we rehearse every day roughly around this time so our voices are i think are doing okay <laughs> speak for yourself anthony <laughs> so now i know that you know we got the show coming up here april 20th through the 24th um what are what are some of your future plans what are, where are you heading where are you with you know what kind of we're just going to kind of see what happens. We'll take anything at this point. Um, we just enjoy performing together, and uh, we'll just see. Yeah, we kind of just – we're excited about the journey. Yeah. Are you looking to keep focus predominantly on uh, being a cabaret concert performing act, or are you also pursuing acting? Or Yes, we are pursuing acting, and, and you know, this is a fun opportunity being in concert with my brother to, um, to kind of showcase what we do together but also what we do individually. And so – if projects come up in the future, in acting, musicals, you know, we're kind of ready to take whatever comes our way. Just taking it one step at a time and enjoying every moment. So working with, the, with your brother, do you ever, like, want to kill each other? Um, <laughs> not literally. Um, <laughs> no, of course not. I mean, the thing is, our parents... Obviously, we're twins, but we were brought up as individuals, which, you know, we're very, I'm very blessed about. And um, 
They didn't but, make you wear the matching shirt ma- shoes. No, matching. well, they only matched once. You know, when we were younger, right. they, we like for like Easter and Christmas, we would we would match. And Anthony would would be in blue, and I would be in red. But you know, that that was only for a little bit. But they really did raise us as individuals. And uh, but you know, we're two different creative beings, and it's kind of neat to be able to collaborate with him, believe it or not, Anthony. Oh, that's and nice. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> but, no, and in collaborating with Richard J. and our musical director, Ben Toth, this has really been a fantastic collaborative experience. And experience, yes. Yeah, I mean, how do you pick your songs? Is one of you a little bit country and another one of you a little bit rock and roll? Or Well, you know, the way that, it's, <laughs> the way that it, we've kind of done it, it's been kind of like, it's been very natural. We haven't come in and been like, we want to sing this. We, it's just kind of come out of conversation, and out it of comes our out stories. Of, and most importantly, it comes out of truth. You know, we talked about... Um, our musical influences. We've talked about our story growing up and the type of singers and music we were listening to. And then Richard J. Alexander, you know, comes with his wealth of musical knowledge and expertise. And so the combination of the two has just really opened me personally, and I'm sure I can speak for Will, it has opened me up to so many new musical uh, possibilities, which only makes it, you know, that much more exciting. All right, well, you guys ready to perform another song for us? Yeah, this yes. next song is uh, um, from the musical How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. The song is called I Believe in You, and it's a, a fresh arrangement of that song. All right, let's take a listen. You have the cool, clear eyes of a seeker of wisdom and truth. Yet there's that upturned chin And the grin of impetuous youth Oh, I believe in you Yes, I believe in you I hear the sound of Good, solid judgment whenever you talk That is culture, bro, that reeks whenever I speak Yet there's that bold, brave Spring of the tiger that quickens your walk Glad you've noticed, bro, the spring of the tiger Whenever I walk I believe in you That's very nice, and Yes, I believe in you You've said that twice, and and when my faith in my fellow man, fellow man, all but falls apart, I've but to feel your hand grasping mine, and I take heart, I take heart. You have the cool, clear eyes of a seeker of wisdom and truth. Yet there's that slam, bang, tang, reminiscent of gin and vermouth. Like martinis will, but just a drop of vermouth. Oh, I believe in you. That's very nice, Will. I believe in you. I believe, I believe. I really believe. Oh, yeah. That's where we get the kind of harmonization that only brothers will really can carry off. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, any uh, parting information you'd like to get off here about your show on the twentieth or the twenty fourth? 
Well, tickets are on sale. Tickets are on sale. And we just, you know, people want to go ahead and reserve tickets. They can uh, find that at, I believe, our, either our website, willandanthony.com, or the, uh, the Feinsteins at lowesregency.com. And, you know, we're just asking people to reserve before our parents buy out the place. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I thank you guys so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for having us. Best of luck with, uh, with the week-long engagement. Thank, Thank you, you so much. On the boards. In a dystopian future where everybody lives underground and society wants to take away their desires for what they want, The Realm is making its New York premiere after uh, premiering in Austin a few years back uh, by Down Payment Productions. And we have got director Jessica Fish and actor Aaron Simon Gross here with us to talk about the show. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. How are you? Thanks good. for having us. Yeah. All right. Did I get both your names right? You I did. Yes. Very okay. good. Yeah. My, my listeners know that I mangle names like, you know, a, a shark. Oh. So. <laughs> but they're loyal anyway, I'm sure. Well, to start things off here, first tell us a little bit about what is The Realm. Sure. Uh, the Realm is a new play by Sarah Myers, which is going up with The Wild Project. Uh, it's a third production for Down Payment Productions, and it is the New York premiere. Uh, the Realm is, a, as you said, a dystopian sort of society. Everybody lives underground, and our, our two main characters, uh, James, played by Aaron, hey. and uh, Kansas, are two teenagers who are tor- trying to escape from this very sort of um, controlled and manipulated society, think sort of Stepford wives, and um, they're trying to reach the above where there's still hope of, of free life. And uh, in this underground world, everything is controlled from water to language to how long you actually live. Um, so they see sort of a better future above ground, and, and they're making a break for it. And so it's sort of the odyssey underground. And Even though they're hardly sure... If- there is any hope above ground, but it, they sort of reach towards a world they're not even sure exists. Sounds like healthcare. It, you know, it's, a little, it's actually you know, it's a little like healthcare. We're reaching, we're reaching. Um, but it's it's a great sort of story, and it's it's very physical, and it's sort mm. of um, you know just an exciting new play by um, a really exciting up and coming playwright, and we're we're really proud to be be offering it to the New York community. Um, so what is the Wild Project? The so Wild Project right. is an entirely green space in the East Village, um, which ties in really nice to sort of some of the sustainability mm-hmm. issues that are in the play. Um, it's kind of alluded to in the realm that everyone moved underground because of environmental issues above ground, and there's a scarcity of water and of resources. And so we thought that tied in really well with, with the green issues and um, the Wild Project's desire to sort of provide a green space in New York and so it's it's a beautiful theater in the East Village um, if you've never been down there it's it's on uh, East 4th east, excuse me East 3rd between um, B and C and it's got a great big garage door so it's got you know natural light and everything and so we're, we're really excited that, to be going down there so, uh, Aaron, you play one of the teenagers in the show, Yes, right? I played James. And, and you look 15. Are you actually, like, 32? Yes, I'm actually 15. <laughs> they actually, with this, which is somewhat rare, they decided to cast a 15-year-old in this role, which was 
thrilling for me. Yeah, we, Aaron's. A, I mean, Aaron's a pro. Aaron's <laughs> been doing this since you were like four. So like, you ten. Know, you know, um, he just did a thirteen on Broadway. What that was last year? Yeah, it was two thousand nine. No, we closed January two thousand nine. So you know, he's been doing this for <laughs> for a lifetime. So he, you know, he's schooling us on how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, it's. Fantastic learning experience, honestly, working with this cast and creative team really is. There's all these things happening in rehearsal that are just like these new experiences. Like the first three days we spent the entire day just building on the world of the realm and the history. Like before we even delved into blocking or anything or even just like working on scenes. And that was extraordinarily helpful and really unique. Table work. I made that up. <laughs> so, Aaron, I'm, I'm going to hear unique from my you know? <laughs> experience. As a young actor, and we haven't had many on the program, so I'm going to grill you about a couple things. It, it seems like it's easier when you're younger to get cast because it's harder to get, like, a 30-year-old who looks like a 10-year-old. But it seems to me you're kind of getting in the age range where I would guess it's harder to find roles because you're competing against people with no labor laws. and, and Yeah, and you don't have to deal with school also. <laughs> So, so how is that as an actor, as you're, as you're moving into an, an older thing? Obviously, you're still getting roles in, in 13, but do you find that things have changed from a couple of years ago when you were auditioning? Yeah, you used to see all the same kids who were your age at all the same auditions. Now they sort of, like, start weeding out, and it's you see the same, like, 21-year-olds at all the auditions. <laughs> That's right. Now you're going in with 21-year-olds? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it's been, for us, it was very important that the teenagers in the show be teenagers. Um, I felt like it's a play about sort of coming of age, and um, in this world, adults, there's a great divide between adults and kids because adults have already conformed to this society. And so to have actual teenagers was sort of very important to me and very important to the playwright, Sarah Myers. And I just felt like it added a level of truth and, and um, to this production and to this play, and Aaron's brought so much in his own sort of background and experience to the role, so I just think it adds a, a level of, of um, authenticity to it that we wouldn't otherwise have. In the previous productions of the play, mm-hmm. were there teenagers for Candace? There were. James? There oh, were, okay. actually, yeah. They, she's, she's always sort of always pushed for that, so I think that's, um, I think that's really important. And, and different, I mean, you don't see a lot of that. Um, it was a risk, obviously, for us, and we're glad we took it, <laughs> but... You. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, not a lot of dot and tongue companies kind of are willing to try the 15-year-old route. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you come across the show in the first place? Um, it was brought to us, um, Alex Strom, who's our associate artistic director at Down Payment, um, was uh, given the given the script through some, some different um, kind of routes, and it was passed along to him. And uh, he brought it to me and said, you know, I, I think this is a great play for us, and, it, you know, and I... I read it and one, you know, just couldn't even take, I, I missed my stop on the train, actually. I was riding the one train uptown and I missed my stop because I couldn't stop reading it. Um, it's just so sort of descriptive and, and lyrical and, um, you know, she she writes so beautifully um, and poetically that I, I, I couldn't stop reading it. And so I, I, I didn't know Sarah and I sort of on a whim just wrote her an email and said, you know, I'd love to do this show and... You know, tell me what I need to do, and we emailed. And now she's actually teaching in Minnesota right now. She's coming in to do the show, um, to see the the production, and we've been video chatting. So God bless Google Chat with clothes. With with clothes, yeah. <laughs> it's you know, 
Um, but what, what's video chatting with clothes? That's this, boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is sort of my this is sort of my true like new millennium show because we it's entirely been done over the internet with her and, and video chatting and stuff. So and she actually video chatted with the cast. Yeah. Do, do you hold the you know camera from the laptop up to the stage and let them see rehearsals? Yeah. She's like, well, yeah. We kind of gather everybody in a little <laughs> corner and we're like, wave hi to Sarah. And you see heads poking out in all different directions. So that's been it's been really I mean it's been sort of amazing and you know I'm used to having a, a playwright in the room and it's it's kind of interesting to do it virtually so I mean but yeah so we're yeah I'm, it was really really sort of faded and just kind of dropped in my lap and so it was great so I want to back up a little bit to 13 you know just because I'm sure some of our listeners were kind of interested in that show what was your experience like working on Broadway in 13 was that your Broadway debut it was my Broadway debut I was involved with the show before through like workshops and pre-Broadway run at Goodspeed and to be able to be involved with the show throughout that creative process and like bring it to Broadway was unbelievable and to also like as what you said about working with the playwrights and like creating a show and having it being sculpted as you're doing it is really something that again to use the word unique is also something that doesn't happen very often and like to have the playwright there available to you. Like when we were talking to Sarah, Tim or someone else in the cast said, can we get George Bernard Shaw in here? Yeah. <laughs> like to have playwrights so available when you're working on something is really invaluable. Now, um, does it feel like you're slumming after doing Broadway? Oh, God, no. <laughs> and and I, I, I say that offhand with the obvious, oh, no. But uh, but the truth is, I mean, uh-huh. when you hit Broadway at a young age, do you, you know, I mean, like I said, even more so on Broadway, I think uh-huh. it, it, it's rarer to cast actual, you know, teenagers as teenagers. I know when we were trying to actually find, like, a teenager for... Um, for our BMI project. Uh-huh. And we just found like this ultra gap between, you know, 10 and 11 year olds uh-huh. and 13 year olds. We couldn't find any, you know, Broadway, you know, peoples. You got to call the cast of 13. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, I feel really well, yeah. awesome downtown. <laughs> we really needed like a 16 to 18 year And the lyric matter of the song made it very delicate what age had, uh-huh. to, be, had to be used. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up going with Sign somebody. Sign off on some few things, yeah. We ended up with, with going out with somebody older just for that reason. But when you look at your career and how, how you move forward, um, uh-huh. I mean, what are your plans? Do you do you have like a, a a plan for your career, or are you just kind of enjoying things how they fall? Oh, I mean, I definitely want to be an actor and a singer. I mean, like people used to always ask, "Do you want to be famous?" I want to be successful. I want to work. I want to thrive artistically. God love them. I mean, <laughs> of course, I need to back up to financially support nah. that. But yeah, no way. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, I, I think that. For any actor, for any mm-hmm. director, the opportunity to work on something new, yeah. wherever it is, oh. downtown, uptown, Cincinnati, um, is exciting. Something to be able to put your stamp on a new piece is sort of so wonderful and yeah. exciting. And, um, you know, every every cast shapes the play and every, you know, every play shapes the cast. And I think that, you know, you working on the realm has made this part different and better and changed it and... And that's that's all you can sort of ask for, no matter where the show is. So. Oh, and I'm so proud of how it's coming together too, and watching it come together with the playwright there again is really exciting. Yes. So, um, Jessica, mm-hmm. what, what's your kind of background in directing? Um, well, 
Uh, I went to school for it. I was uh, I went to Tufts University undergrad. Any jumbos out there? And um, and I came to New York right out of college and sort of worked my way. Um, but and I must say to our yeah. listeners, you also look very young. Yeah, that's right. You <laughs> asked if I was the other teenager, which I mean. <laughs> Well played. I'll come uh, well, to your show anytime you I want. I wasn't trying to be like a, a slick, you know, after, you know, Like, come into my there. recording booth and you look 15. Uh, yeah, but no, I'm actually the director. <laughs> um, I'm also the artistic director of Down Payment Productions. Um, Brian Smith, who is the executive producer, and I went to college together um, and produced theater in college together. And then... When was that? I mean, you don't even give dates? Come on here. Whoa. I'll just, I'll, hey now. Um, and uh, I'll say that when we, we sort of got Down Payment going, we, we, our first show, The Red-Headed Man, was the first thing that we did together um, for Down Payment, and that was in the Fringe. Um, I actually think that we tried to get you in here, get us in here for that, so <laughs> here we are a couple years later. Um, and uh, that was in the Fringe, and it was uh, an awesome sort of multimedia piece, and we extended that and did it at the Barrow Street Theater for an additional time. And, you know, we've just been sort of plugging away and um, doing additional shows. We did a show, Pink, at the at the Workshop Theater um, right around the corner here. And, um, you know, I work as an assistant director. That's sort of my my nuts and bolts. Um, I've gotten some opportunities to work with some amazing, amazing directors who've made me a better director. Do name drop. Oh, really? <laughs> Thank you, Michael Mayer and Walter Bobby, <laughs> who are very busy right now doing their own shows on Broadway. Um, but, yeah, so, I, you know, I, I sort of give credit to not only sort of my, my company and down payment and what the opportunities that have been provided to me through that, and but also just being an assistant director and, and learning from some of the, the best and, um, you know, being in some of the greatest rehearsal rooms has made this possible. You know, how do you nose in to the assistant director positions? It seems like, it, it, you know, that hardly seems like something you can truly, like, just apply for or audition for. <laughs> so, so, uh, how do, so how would an aspiring director who's learning, you know, who wants to learn the ropes from somebody established kind of... How did you muscle into those positions? Sure. I'm really persuasive. I mean, that's sort of, um, uh, you know, there's uh, in show business, which this is, uh, you can't have any shame. And I was definitely a person who right out of college knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I just started approaching directors and following every avenue I could to to start out. And, did you um, stalk them outside of their apartment? That's what, yeah, that's what, I, that's what Michael would say. No. Um, no, I, you know. I, and there are also a lot of great opportunities. Um, I was at the Williamstown Theater Festival for a summer, and they have a great sort of young director program. Um, I was at Playwrights Horizons for a year as their directing fellow. And so there are opportunities out there for young directors to meet, to, to meet um, you know, established directors and work with them. Um, and your name gets passed. Once you get into they're like, assist, once you can prove that you can get a good coffee and take great notes, <laughs> let me tell you, your name gets around. So, um, but I would say for for any director out there who's trying to sort of find some assisting work, it's like there's no shame in asking who needs an assistant. Pass my name around, you know. So, because you know, a good assistant goes a long way. <laughs> I have a great assistant on this show, so let me tell you. So, so a big part of the job is getting coffee. You uh, know, it, I, it depends on the relationship. I mean, there are some directors who. <laughs> Uh, like, would, are yelling at me right now for saying that. Like, I can hear the voices right now, you know, going, I don't get, you know, you don't get my coffee. But, um, no, you know, there, it was a, 
you know, some, I've, I've, I've had some crazy experiences being an assistant director, and when I write my book in, like, 50 <laughs> years and they're all dead, I will tell yeah. stories. You know, because <laughs> when I first moved to New York, I screwed up on getting coffee so bad because I did not realize that New Yorkers consider regular to be sugar to Oh, yeah. To me, regular means black. Well, see, now it's all about, like, <laughs> lattes and chai teas and foam, so... It's a little more complicated. I take notes. Well, well, that's why you know if you can handle all those like you know Starbucks, you know crazy (laughs) orders. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's the real. They should teach that in college. (laughs) All right. So uh, the realm is heading up the April third through the eighteenth, and it is again playing at the Wild Project. Is there a website people can go? There is. It's uh, therealmplay.com. And there's uh, information about all the cast and uh, some photographs. It's and a really cool website. It's a, we're really proud of our website. Yeah, check out the website. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Under the Realm. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you there. See you there. A- any parting shots you'd like to get off? Any, any, uh, any, uh, anything you'd like to say to any crazy fans you developed during 13? Come to the realm. I, I will say that Aaron Simon Gross has a fan page on Facebook. <laughs> and uh, we love it. Uh, Just Fish has a fan page Yeah, that's right. He now Facebook. made me one. But to all of Aaron Simon Gross's 511 <laughs> fans on Facebook, we shall see you there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks for stopping in. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Michael. On the boards. The Maids, a 1947 absurdist French play, is being staged in New York from April 22nd through May 8th by the Curious Frog Theatre Company. And we have director Tracy Cameron Francis as well as actor William Alex Reynolds here with us to talk about the show. How are you guys doing? Great. We're great. <laughs> so uh, first off, uh, always kind of kick it off the main thing, what is The Maids? What is it about? Uh, the Maids is essentially about two two maids, believe it or not. Um, there's plural? Okay, there's they, a reason. There are, there are two of them, yeah. <laughs> um, and basically what they do is they enact this elaborate role-playing ceremony every day where one of them plays Madame while she's out of the house. Um, and every time the whole the game of the ceremony is to act out the murder of Madame, but every time the alarm rings before they're able to get to the final part of the ceremony. I always hate getting that murder. I know. You know You're like almost there, kinda... and then ah. Oh. <laughs> Law and Order would be a very different show if that was uh, happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, William, what, and what role do you play in this? I am playing Madame. Really? Yes. So really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but playing it up in drag. Yeah. Apparently. Well, in in drag, but um, where he's playing a woman, um, Janae originally intended for this play to be all cast as males, having males play all the females, because he wants to add all these levels of identity and role-playing and sham and illusion, and that was one of his ways to explore this other layer of sham of having men play women, playing maids, playing the madame, playing each other, just all these different levels. Um, so one of our ideas is having just having him play a female, having the maids actually cast as females is having them emulate a man emulating a woman, just to add that other weird little layer of sham and illusion and emulation. <laughs> oh, it's layered. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, William, have you had much experience with this kind of thing before? No, actually. I've never dressed in drag or played a woman longer than, like, 20 seconds. <laughs> it's going to take longer than 20 seconds to get used to the heels, I'll it, tell you that. If you... It definitely will. I'm scared. <laughs> You're practicing now, right? Every day? Yes, Good. every day Good. in front of the mirror. Excellent. <laughs> 
So, Tracy, what um, what brought you to this production? Um, the play or the company? Both. Both. Yeah. Okay. What attracted you to? Um, I mean, I the company. I met Renee last year, um, and I was just really enthralled with their mission statement and what they're trying to do, and that that they're putting on these larger plays um, in very interesting experimental ways. Um, I think they're a very courageous company for doing that. So, what is their mission statement? Um, basically, they do very traditional, well-known plays with non-traditional casting in non-traditional spaces. So like last year they did a production of True West with an all-Asian cast in an apartment in the East Village. So just seeing these plays that are normally cast with very white, very American actors in very traditional settings and just putting a new perspective on them. And where is this being performed? Uh, this is being performed in a loft space in Chelsea. All right. Have you had a chance to see that space yet? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> going to be it's going to be exciting. It's definitely going to be the most intimate production of the maids probably most people have seen. <laughs> So what what has been the process so far with rehearsals as you as you get the show ready? I mean we're still we're still on the first week, but um, we're working a lot with um, different physical styles and gesture, and we're really playing with these ideas of layers of identity and how do we put on our identity through our body. Um, I've worked with the maze a lot of what your oppression is with your gesture. What is you know how are you physically imprisoned in these um, daily tasks you have to do in this daily posture of having your head down of that and then in terms of emulating each other then trying to pick up on what these gestures are what is the you know physicality of madame how do we put literally physically put her on when we're playing her and uh, have you had a lot of experience directing with absurdist and i'm guessing a very physical kind of yeah. production yeah <laughs> yeah that's usually what i do <laughs> so what's some of your background with that and, and what, what would you say are some of the differences working with that versus uh you know Lend me a tenor coming out on Broadway. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's not my yeah. um, I mean, I tend to work, and I mean, part of the reason I love to do theater is because it gives you an opportunity to see something that you don't see in everyday life. I mean, theater, you know, people walking around, you know, in the kitchen drinking tea doesn't really interest me because we can see that in everyday life. Theater, I think, should show you a different layer of reality, something you don't normally get to see, a different perspective on everyday life and how you view the world. So I think by doing really physical, stylized type of things, it just offers the audience a new way to imagine how they view the world. And William, have you had a lot of experience thus far with kind of a more experimental, absurdist? I have. I went to school on Long Island, and they primarily specialized in really physical, Suzuki viewpoint, physical-based theater, avant-garde theater, and so I've been doing that a lot lately. So what, what kind of is the study pattern of that, that that's so different from traditional acting? Well, I, I'm not really sure, but um, a lot of the physical, um, a lot of the physical movement, a lot of physical movement would, um, is, is interesting for a lot of people who are doing straight theater, regular theater. You know, a lot of the things that we do, people have told me are weird, and I'm fine with that because it's what I do and what I've been studying. So, you know... A lot of the theater you go and see on Broadway wouldn't be as physically active, but I've been doing this a long time. I have experience with Janae, too. I'm a director also, and I did one of his plays in school, The Balcony. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. It's an interesting <laughs> learning experience, though. So what are the challenges getting ready for a, a, a unique space, a non-theatrical space? I mean, one of the challenges is we're not going to get to the space till closer to production, but just, you know, and we're not in a traditional scene where there's a curtain coming up, lights are coming up. I mean, audience is going to enter the play. They're going to 
walk into their space, into what's going on. Um, and, you know, and also just the intimacy of having the audience, you know, three feet from where the actors are, having the audience all around, not having that, that safe separation, not having we have the stage, we have the audience, there's that safety there. There's, we, don't, we don't have that. They're getting, audiences use the same bathroom as the actors use on stage. It's all one big thing. The, audience, the actors use a bathroom on stage? I mean, it's, it's where, where they're, they're in Madame, they're in Madame's apartment, you know, it's all the same. No. They're in my lair. <gasps> so one thing I'm always curious to find out, you know, um, you know, and I'm sure other people are too, is in your personal lives, your, your day job, so to speak, um, what do you guys do to help, you know, balance, you know, your you know, balance? day job? Balance? What's that? <laughs> How do you make time to earn, earn your living and to do your art at the same time? I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah, let me let me know uh, what the <laughs> budget. <laughs> Manage your time extremely well. Have a job that you hate and can take off of anytime you want. And don't sleep. What what are your jobs right now at the moment? I'm currently a waiter. Okay, so the in Times Square. Okay, and it's awful. But like today, I didn't realize we were having an interview, and I got a text earlier, and I was like, "Can I leave?" And they were like, "Sure." It's raining. We and have, I left. We have no food to serve yet. <laughs> no food to serve. <laughs> and you, Tracy? Um, right now I'm freelancing and whatever comes along, mostly just doing theater, actually. So, which is nice. All right. Yeah. So, um, April 22nd through actually, May 8th. Actually, 24th is our official opening day. Okay. Yeah. The 22nd is previews? Yeah. Uh, I even got the preview thing going on. Are you going to change it drastically in those two days? Like, oh, rework the whole play? Yeah, the entire thing. I'm just going to restage it now. <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully. <laughs> and is there a website people can go to for more information? Yes. Uh, www.curiousfrog.org. Oh, frog singular. Yeah, frog okay. singular. Just one frog. <laughs> Two maids, one frog. Exactly. Got it. <laughs> All right. Any parting shots you'd like to get off before we wrap up here? Uh, just come, come see the show. Come check it out. Come right. see it. <laughs> All right. Well, William Alex Reynolds and Tracy Cameron Francis. Did I get that right or are you, are you laughing? Oh, no, we're not laughing at that. Okay. You got it right. You don't understand. I have a horrible <laughs> proclivity for, like, absolutely mangling names. So, <laughs> so I get paranoid when somebody laughs after I announce their name. Um, the Maids, again, uh, playing from April 26th, May 8th, CuriousFrog.org. And thanks so much for stopping by. Best yeah. of luck with the rest Thank of the rehearsals. You. Thank you. Curtain call. Well, that wraps up our program. Remember, if you want to find more information on anything you heard about the show, you can just go to broadwaybullet.com and click on the show notes for volume 405. We're going to be back on April 15th, the third Thursday of the month, with another great program, and we're getting near to near. I don't know about the April show, but maybe starting May, we're going to be getting a lot of probably Tony-nominated content. So I'll be looking forward to welcoming you back. Uh, and once again, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. The Broadway Bullet! It was a thrilling moment. With dogs, so shouldn't audition come up. We are so ready and raring. So Jake Kowski says my name, and I'm in the can. Actually, the bar fade thing comes from my whole life. People just going vulture, boggler.
audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc., to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.